Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. So here's a question I wanted to start with, and this is a, this is a non-rhetorical question. How many of you have ever been told that you had a problem with authority? Anybody willing to admit that? Yes, okay, we have a couple. I'd love to know like when and why that was said to you. Like how did that come up in your life? Uh, when I was younger, it was, it was pointed out to me numerous times that I had a problem with authority. And as I think about it, maybe I'd watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off a few too many times growing up, but I really did try to get away with a lot of stuff. I was In college, I was that guy that had somehow procured the master key to everything on campus and used it to get up to all kinds of hijinks. And uh, when I, w- I went to a high school that required that we wear collared shirts, and for some reason in my junior and senior years, this just, just struck me as an exceedingly onerous requirement one which I rebelled against constantly. And I even went at one point to the ridiculous length of cutting a collar off of a shirt and carrying it with me so that when I saw a teacher coming down the hall, I could slip it on over my T-shirt, under my jacket, and appear as though I was in line with the rules. Uh, but, of course, that always meant keeping an eye out and ducking and hiding. It was a lot of work. And after a while, it occurred to me it was just easier to just wear a shirt with a collar on it. And eventually, I even sent my kids for a time to a school that required collared shirts and uniforms, which means that I matured in that area. I grew to not simply obey the rule, but actually appreciate it and embrace it as good as forming in terms of character and something good. Why do you think, why do we have such a hard time with authority? What do you think? Why is it so hard for us sometimes? Sometimes we don't trust the authority, yeah. Ah, Authority asks us to do things that we don't want to do. Yeah. This morning, uh, we take on what, for some of us, specifically for all of us who raised our hands earlier, and uh, for many of us who should have raised our hands earlier, is a tough topic, but one that I think is essential for our spiritual growth and maturity. And I hope we can uh, redefine and maybe even redeem uh, what, for many of us, is an awful, terrible word. I won't tell you what that word is yet. I'll leave you guessing. We'll get to it. When we talk about spiritual growth, what we're really talking about is growing up. God has created us. He's designed us to be in relationship with him and to be his image in the world. 
This is what we mean when we talk about human beings being created in the image of God, uh, in the image or likeness of God. That as a good picture tells you something about the person whose picture you are looking at. I got lost somewhere in the grammar of that, but you know what I'm saying. As a good picture of someone tells you something about them, lets us catch, catch just a glimpse of who they are. So we are meant to show something about God, who he is, by reflecting his character to each other and to the world. And since that's our design, the more that we do that, the more truly human we are becoming. And in Jesus, we find the perfect example of that, the Son of God who so listened to and obeyed God, his Father, he is the perfect representation of who God is. And so we talk a lot about being more like Jesus. Not simply because Jesus was super cool or he had some awesome things to say, but because in doing so, in becoming more like him, we become more of who we were meant to be. We become more truly human. And that's what I want to suggest, is that becoming more like Jesus is not a matter of trying harder, doing better, but of yielding, of, oops, almost gave away the word, not yet. Grab your Bibles. We are going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It's about five-sixths of the way through the book, uh, if that helps anyone. There's a word we've been using a lot lately, and that word is discipleship. We all know Jesus had disciples, basically students, apprentices, people who followed him to learn his ways, what he was teaching, how he was living. And his command to those disciples, those learners, was to help others do the same. Like what he gave them, they were meant to turn around and give to others. In the first century, that was, I mean, it was pretty common language to be a particular rabbi or teacher's disciple. That was understood. Much like in early America, you didn't go to school to learn a trade. You just became someone's apprentice. Uh, you basically, they're unpaid intern. And that's how you learned how to do things. When the time came, you would take on your own apprentice and you would pass on the skills, the trade, what you would learn. But an interesting thing happens midway through the book of Acts, right, which tells the story of the early church. The word disciple disappears. It's not there anymore. And I want to suggest this morning that while the word disappears, the concept doesn't. It just gets reframed, reimagined. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul is writing to this church, and he's cautioning them about getting too hung up on, I follow this guy or I follow that guy. And he says, verse 6, this is getting bad with the eyes, so i got to do this now. It's really annoying. Dear brothers and sisters, I've used Apollos. Apollos was one of those guys that people were fanboying about says, uh, I've used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. 
For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Basically, the people in Corinth were getting a little too excited about this teacher or that teacher, and they were kind of picking teams and whatever. And that was leading to a certain amount of pride in them. The church I used to help lead in Portland, uh, we met in this pub, and there was a guy who was part of it who was this huge Rob Bell fanboy. And if you don't know who Rob Bell is, that's okay. He's a very talented preacher from a church in Grand Rapids. He's since become kind of a new agey um, surfer guru or something out in California. But at the time, really hot stuff in terms of preaching. And uh, every morning while we were setting up, every Sunday morning, this guy would drive up in his VW van and he would park in the lot right beside the pub and he would listen to the podcast of Rob Bell very loudly until it was time to come in. I mean, I was, I, we'd be in there and I could hear Rob Bell preaching in the parking lot, right? And it, it really didn't bother me. I mean, it, until I started to notice one thing and that was he would come in and over time, more and more, he, he would shake his head and he'd cross his arms and he just seemed really dissatisfied with the sermon discussions we were having. He developed what I like to call a resting fart face. And that's, that's when it's kind of like this, just all through church, right? And over the years, I've learned that when someone develops resting fart face, it's not long before they're out the door. It's, it's, a, it's a sign. It's something I look for. What was the problem? The problem was that I and the other preachers of our community were not Rob Bell, right? And this guy, like the guy who discovers the ultimate indie bands and then begins to look down on everyone who's still listening to Taylor Swift or whoever else is in the top 40, he started to believe that we just didn't get it. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Look at verse 8. He says, You think you already have everything you need. You think you're already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. He's being super sarcastic here. It's, it's, it's tough to see it, but it's, it's in the Greek, trust me. Um, he said, I, I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die, we've become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now, we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. Man, he's really, he's, he's on a roll. We work, <laughs> we work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We ap- appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everyone's trash, right up to the present moment. Sounds like he's doing this weird, like, humble bragging, kind of woe is me kind of thing. But what he's really saying is, listen, I know you think that maybe you found these people who are like so smart and everything, and so you're by osmosis, that's you, and maybe you've grown beyond us, but, but we've worked really hard on your behalf. 
to tell you about Jesus, to teach you, to love you. We're not super preachers that you love to listen to, but you know what? We're actually here. We know you. We love you. And more. Verse 14, he says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. But I became your father in Christ, for I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. And here's the redefinition I talked about. Paul doesn't say I discipled you, but that's what he means when he says I became your father in Christ. The language of the New Testament shifted from the school metaphor of rabbi and disciple, of teacher and learner, to the family metaphor of spiritual parenting. And whenever he or others in the New Testament talk about maturing, growth, growing up, they're leaning on this metaphor of spiritual parenting, of the way that we learn from others and we grow. He says, verses 16 and 17, so I urge you to imitate me, to, he says elsewhere, follow me as I follow Jesus. Not because he's got a big head and he thinks he's doing it all right, but he's saying, I learned this way of doing it. I want you now to try it the same way, right? He says, so imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. And there's how it's supposed to work. Paul was Timothy's spiritual parent, and now he sent Timothy to be the same for others. So where's all this going? I mentioned that at times various people have pointed out to me a problem that I had with authority, and it never really stuck until an older guy named Parker sat me down. I was just out of college. I was living in Alaska. I was attending a small church there. and For some reason, I had gotten into the habit of playing practical jokes on the pastor. And one night, a friend of mine and I took a van, and we went to a, a place where people would dump their newspaper recycling in these big bins and things. We filled the van to the top with newspapers, and then we piled them in front of the pastor's door, his doorstep at his home. Yeah, it's not that funny, but uh, I thought it was hilarious. Unbeknownst to me, he had gotten back from a long road trip with his family, including a couple of small kids, and late at night, had driven up to his house, and he was unable to even get to his front door until he moved all these newspapers. So Parker came, and he had a chat with me. Wanted to offer an observation. Was super gentle and kind, but suggested maybe I had a blind spot and in the middle of that blind spot was a problem with authority. I not so humbly disagreed, but thanked him for his input. It actually took me a couple of years to realize that he was right. And I never forgot that conversation. And I'm still grateful today that he had the courage to have it with me. And in that moment, Parker was acting as a spiritual parent for me, and I only wish I had listened sooner. In fact, I wish I had asked him, what else do you see? Because I bet I could have learned a lot more if I had. 
We've been in this La Familia series for a few weeks, and we've talked about some of the rhythms of the Christian life, the up, in, and out rhythms of worship, of togetherness, of service. But one of the essential elements that we don't often talk about much, even as we talk about church community as family, is this very biblical idea of spiritual parenting. I've said before, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but still, Christianity is the original pyramid scheme. Like, it is the, the, the old-school MLM, right? We all have people in our upline. Right? None of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus came to this thing in a vacuum, removed from relationship. There's always a name. There's someone. Right? Someone told you about Jesus, about God's love for you. Someone helped you learn. Someone helped you practice the skills of being a follower of Jesus. We all have people in our upline. And, we, and here's the thing. We're all meant to have people in our downline. And for those of you who have sold Lululemon or Amway or doTERRA in the past, I apologize if this language is triggering. <laughs> I don't mean to do that. We are all meant to have others to whom we are giving what was given to us or even what we wish had been given to us. I asked you earlier to think about the people who had a positive spiritual impact on your life. The purpose of that was, one, to stoke gratitude to God for bringing those people into our lives and using them to help us along in this spiritual journey, but also, two, to challenge you to begin to think about how you can and could be that for someone else. Let me sharpen the challenge just a bit. First of all, Seek out flesh and blood people around you who have something to offer and do it proactively. Let me put this super plainly. If, the, if all the input in your life is coming from podcasts or from books without the incarnational flesh and blood input of people who actually know you, you are like someone who eats only one category of food. All carbs, all protein. Eventually, you will find yourself out of balance. Those things are good, but we need the flesh and blood incarnational input of people who know us. If you've been married under five years, why are you not inviting yourself over to the houses of those who've been doing it for 20 plus years and asking them what they've learned? If you have small kids or teenagers, there are people who have been through it sitting in this room. And most likely all of your friends, your social circle, they're going through the same stuff you are as you do it. And that's good to have people like peers but hang out with some people who have already done it. Ask them, how did you ever pray with small children in the house? How did that work for you? What did you do? What do you wish you had done? Struggling with work-life balance, having doubts about faith, don't know how to read the Bible? Why in the world would we not take advantage of all the wisdom that is in this room? Lean in. 
This is the challenge. Lean in and start unwrapping some of the wonderful presence that God has gifted you right here in this community. Now, here's the word that no one likes, and I'm going to drop it because it's important. Truly learning from others in this way requires something that none of us like to do, and that word, (laughs) I hesitate to even say it because no one likes it. That word is submission. There it is. It's a word that has been misused, that has hurtful connotations for many. So let me just say, what it really means is to come under and truly listen. A skill that we've lost for the most part. It's, it's not about unquestioning obedience. Yes, whatever you say, I will. That's not it. Paul says elsewhere, in the, New, in the New Testament, that we should each submit to one another, right? Mutual submission. He's not saying do whatever somebody tells you to do. He's saying listen to each other. Take their lead. If they think that you should try something, a new spiritual discipline, try it. If they point out what they believe is a blind spot in your life, don't dismiss it. Consider it. If they tell you you need to cut something out for your own good, try cutting it out and see what happens. It's about recognizing the lived experience that conf- that, that, that that experience, excuse me, the lived authority that that experience confers on those in our lives and letting it influence us. That's all it is. When Paul says submit to one another, he doesn't mean become Stepford people. He means really listen. Open your ears. One of the ways I'm trying to practice this in my own life is I always try to take notes when I'm not preaching. Like I said earlier, I'm no Rob Bell. I'm no Tim Mackey. Robert, who regularly teaches our community, is no John Mark Comer. Cindy, as awesome as she is, where'd she go? I think she's teaching the kids. She's no uh, Beth Moore. You know what? But we're here. We're here, listening to God, praying for you, doing our best to help this community, and so is everyone who takes on the role of of teaching this community. Doing our best to help this, this community figure out what God is doing and wants to do in and through us. And so when others speak, I'm trying to make a discipline of listening, and I take notes to help me listen. Not because of the excellence of the preaching, but because of the excellence of the gospel that is being preached. I put myself under that, and I encourage you to try that too. Second, just about done. Offer yourself proactively. Listen, I know you don't have it all figured out. But you've got some things figured out, right? I mean, you were all able to get out of bed. You got your shoes on the right feet. You got here today, right? You know some stuff. None of us are spiritual giants, but the good news is that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for people who are simply willing to learn from others and then take what they've learned and pass it on. M, L, 
am. Whether in our discipleship huddles or our uh, microchurches, we're not looking for people who have it all figured out, just people who are willing to share what God has allowed them to learn along the way and then practice it with others. I said earlier that becoming more like Jesus is not a matter of trying, but of yielding. And the hardest thing you may have to yield, the hardest thing you may have to yield to is the idea that God could actually use you in someone else's life the way that he used someone else in yours. It just may be that the thing that God wants you to sacrifice in this next season is that most precious of American commodities, your time. To go out to coffee with someone, to have someone over for dessert, just to say, hey, let's grab a beer. Let's just want to hear what's going on in your life. All so that others may grow and grow up to look more like Jesus. The good news is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all of creation through the work of Jesus on our behalf. And the way he is doing that right now is through what we've talked about today. Each of us learning from others in our lives who Jesus is, how he wants to form and shape us, and then giving away to others what God has so graciously given to us. This morning, as we come to this table, we're going to act this out. We have two communion stations here. I'm going to start at one, and I'll ask Jesse, another of our pastors, to start at the other. We're going to offer communion to the first person who comes, and then we're going to step away. I'll hold the bread up. First person who comes, just tell me whether you want leaded or unleaded. Um, I'll, I'll give it to you body and blood of Christ given for you. And then it's your turn to take that bread, to offer that juice or wine to someone. And each of us, as we take communion, as we remember with gratitude what God has done for us in Jesus, we will then offer it to the next person that comes. And then at the end, after two of you have been standing up here awkwardly for a number of seconds, Jesse and I will come back and we will, we will take communion. But recognize, if you want what Jesus is offering, this table is for you. Just know that receiving that gift means you then have to pass it on to others. This is what we've been doing for 2,000 years and what we will do until Christ comes again. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are grateful for the people in our lives whom you have used to form and shape us, who have contributed many with their positive influence, some simply by the ways that they failed they helped us learn. But God, we are grateful. You've brought us this far. And we thank you.
Would you give us an imagination for what that could look like for us to do that for others? We come to this table in gratitude and thanks. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.